Hey, everybody, it's Gene Martz again, and thanks for joining me for another episode of Biz Books, where I speak to smart and awesome business book authors about the books that they wrote today. My guest is G. Riley Mills, who goes as Gary. Uh, he has written with his co-author, Dave Lewis, The Bullseye Principle, Mastering Intention-Based Communication to Collaborate, Execute, and Succeed. So, Gary, first of all, thank you very much for joining me. Thank you, Gene. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. So first of all, let me just, let's give a shout out to your co-author, Dave Lewis. Uh, tell us a little bit about him Absolutely. and how you got to know him. Yeah. So Dave Lewis is my uh, co-founder at Pinnacle Performance Company. This is the global communication skills training firm. We started about 18 years ago and his background, he went to Cornell and his background was in business in the corporate environment. And he's the one who actually came up with this idea of taking all the tools and skills that a professional actor knows how to use your voice, your body language, your movement, yeah. how to influence emotion to motivate action. He came up with the idea and approached me saying, hey, I want to build a program that we can take into the corporate environment that's different than Dale Carnegie or Toastmasters or the ones we all know that's really fun and applicable and relevant. So it was his idea. I ended up building that first iteration of the curriculum and piloted it 18 years ago. And that's kind of how it started. So it was really the genesis came from him and the book happened in 2012. So the company was around maybe eight years, and then we wrote the, I'm sorry, that was our first book called The Pin Drop Principle. Pin Drop Principle, yeah, I was yeah, going to ask you about that. That was, that was in 2012, and then five years later, after the success of Pin Drop Principle, we wrote the follow-up, which is Bullseye Principle. Got it. So um, so there's the Pin Drop Principle, there's the Bullseye Principle. These are they, these sound like they're both, I mean, they're connected to each other, and they're both a you know playbook for the type of really the, the kind of advice and services that you perform for your clients. Tell us a, a, just a little bit more about your company. Like what do you guys do and, and how do you help your clients? Who are your clients? Yeah, great, great, uh, great question. So we, anybody who needs to improve their communication or their, their leadership style, that's a client of ours. So it really runs the gamut and we work with fortune 500s all around the world. And we, we have huge companies where we have, you know, funnels of thousands of people who come through that we train and coach and get them ready for, you know, whatever's next in their career to, to, to make sure communication is sharp, productivity is good, and, and employee engagement, which is a big one right now, sure. is top of mind because that's, I don't know if you saw the new Gallup study that came out. Gallup once a year does their state of the global workplace right. study where they study 160 countries around the world. They interview and say, are people engaged? Are you engaged? And for 10 years, there was pretty good news. We were on an upswing. And then when COVID hit, for the first time in 10 years, we went down, employee engagement went down. And then this year, just a few weeks ago, the study came out and there's actually, well, there's good news and bad news. The good news was it went up by two percentage points. So that's the good news. The bad news is global engagement is at 23% of global employees are engaged. That means 77% are either quiet quitting or they are not engaged with the work they're doing. So obviously we have a lot of work to do. And that that's is amazing. So yeah, I mean, you, I mean, you're, you actually are leading me into that next question, um, you know, which is a preamble for the book, but like, what exactly do you mean by engagements? Like, is this good engagement right now? We're focused and talking to each other like this. Yeah. They, they, so there's two different types of engagement that we talk about. So one is engagement. Is your workforce engaged? Are they being productive? Are they doing more than they need to be doing? Are they, are they excelling? Are they going above and beyond? Or are they doing the bare minimum, looking for another job, searching LinkedIn for a better opportunity? So there's that kind of engagement. Are your team members engaged? Hmm. One of the big things they found in that study was the two reasons people gave for not being engaged, number one was poor leadership. Mm -hmm. The leadership at their organization is not great. Right. The second was not money. You would think it would be money. It's not money. Right. The second was the culture. They didn't like the culture at the organization, which we would argue that's leadership too. Sure. If the culture at your organization is making people quit, you've got to see what your leadership, what your managers are doing. So that's the first type of engagement we talk about. The second type of engagement is engagement during the communication. So yeah, what you said, this right here, are we engaged? Am I listening to you? Are you listening to me? Are we building off of each other? Or am I just coming out and giving the same spiel I just did on the podcast last week? Right. right? So that, 
Can you engage in your meetings, in your presentations, in your performance reviews? And so that's what we teach. We teach you how to do both of those things, how to create a culture where people feel heard, where I listened to your last episode. They talked a lot about psychological safety, which we have been talking about for years. Right. Amy Edmondson, Dr. Amy Edmondson is the expert on that. And it's really important as a leader that your people feel like they can take a risk, they can express themselves, and they're not going to be ridiculed or mocked or shoved to the side if they bring you bad news or if they, they, they give an opinion that you may not like. So there's those two, those two types. That's what we focus on in our coaching and our trainings. How do you measure it though, Gary? I mean, you know, it's, it seems like such a hard thing to quantify. It, it, it's tricky, but first off, are people leaving? <laughs> if people are leaving and if you're doing the right thing by nobody's going to give you better information about your company and your culture than somebody who's leaving right? because they have nothing to lose now. And right. so we try to do extensive outreach when someone's leaving those exit interviews. Hey, tell us, tell us why do, why you're leaving? Is there something we could have done? Was it just a better opportunity? Are you shifting gears? Are you changing? So I think that's really important, but also creating a feedback culture within your organization where top down, it's not hierarchical where, you know, in the old days, it was the old CEO in the corner office and man, I'm not going to go near him. I'm not going to go over there and bother him. And I would never give him feedback. Right. Younger workers, as you probably know, they want feedback. The, the younger generations, not only do they want feedback, they want you to develop them sure. and they want you to help them become better and, and learn new skills that they might take to another job. Right. That might probably be what happens but that's what they want. So all of us who have been in the corporate environment for a while, we've got to be ready to not only give feedback to younger workers and develop them and mentor them, but also they're going to want to give us feedback. <laughs> and that can be that can be a tricky thing for the older generations. They're not used to some young person right out of college saying, hey, this thing you're doing, it's not very good. You're, you're making a mistake here. You should rethink that. And so we try to create a real uh, flat feedback culture at Pinnacle. And right. that's what we teach our clients as well is if you're not asking for feedback and soliciting it and setting the example as the leader or the CEO of tell me how I did, what could I do better? You're missing the boat. Okay. So there, there are really two books here. I mean, you and I are going to talk about the bullseye principle, but as we, you mentioned earlier, there, there was a you know, predecessor to it called the pin drop principle. Yeah. So just to be clear, I mean, should, should we be reading one before the other? Do they both stand independently of each other? Yeah, so the, the pin drop principle came first, and that is, if you read that first, that's going to give you a great baseline mm -hmm. on communication and presentation skills. Mm -hmm. If you really want to get good at presenting, getting up in front of an audience, running a great meeting, telling a story, that book is, is a great book to lay the groundwork for that. And it's very simple. It's almost like a class in here's the first building block. Okay. Now we're going to move on to the second. Right. Bullseye principle, which came five years later. That one goes deeper into just the idea of influence and impact and communication. Yep. Yep. You don't need to read both of them, at one at one before the other, but I think it's a richer experience if you read both. But if you really just want presentation skills, man, I get stage fright. I want to learn how to get up in front of an audience and, and really wow them. Then pin drop principle is probably the best one. And if you want to understand leadership and communication and, and impact, then I would go and read uh, Bullseye if you're only going to read one or the other. Understood. What, who do you want reading the Bullseye Principle? Is this, you know, you, you mentioned about leaders. I mean, is this, is this a book for CEOs and managers or uh, anybody in business or yeah. not in so business? Here's a, here's a very funny story. Here's a funny story. When we first wrote the Pin Drop Principle, we wrote the proposal and we had a different title. Mm -hmm. We had a completely different title and we thought it was the most brilliant title anyone has ever had for a book. We bought the, I think we did the trademark, we bought the website, we bought everything. And when we presented the uh, proposal to the publisher, they said, hey, we love the concept, we love your writing, we love everything about this, but the one thing we don't like, your title is terrible. <laughs> okay. And we were shocked and aghast and offended because we it was our first, first business book. Right. And so here's the title. At the time, the book you saw everywhere, which I'm sure you have a copy or you've read it, was called Good to Great. Of course. You saw it in every airport. And so we were like, what's the title that we could have in our space that is similar to Good to Great, but reflects our content? So here's the title that we had, Boring to Brilliant. 
<laughs> the idea was, we're going to take someone's communication from boring to make you brilliant over the course of reading this book. Uh, by the way, I like that title. Does that yeah. be in the minority here? <laughs> okay. yeah. So we liked it too. We thought we were so smart and so brilliant. And so when this editor at John Wiley came to us and said, we love it, we'd like to buy this book, but we're going to change the title. You have to come up with a different one. We were offended. We said, how dare you? What do you mean? And they said, here's why it's a bad title. No business person who is on a flight looking at a book in the bookstore at the airport who wants to read it on the flight to London, nobody thinks of themselves as boring. Right. <laughs> More importantly, they certainly don't want their seatmate to think that they're boring Correct. as well. That's so they said you're going to lose it. And we were like, that is brilliant. That is really a smart observation. It and it sense. was the, you know, it was a great lesson in you've got to trust people who know more about sure. something than you do, even if you're stuck to an idea that you love you could be wrong. And so we went with that publisher. We had two publishers who were fighting over the rights to the book. Right. We were going with that publisher simply because of that reason. We felt if she is going to smack us across the face right. and she doesn't even have the contract yet, we're still yeah. interviewing her, it's going to be a better book. And she, right. she pushed us. So, so we went with her and she was fantastic. And she helped us make the book 10 times better than it would have been if we would have just done it you know, self-publishing. Great. All right. You write about in the book when you start things off um, about what, what you call influential communication. Yeah. Can you explain to me what you mean by that? Sure. The baseline of everything we train at Pinnacle, whether it's a coaching session, whether you're in a workshop with us, is all about two things. So first mm -hmm. off, we always start with what is your objective for this communication you're about to deliver? So you're running a meeting, you're calling 15 people together to do an hour meeting at your company. What's the objective? How do you know if you're successful at the end? What happened? So that's the first thing is identifying an objective. Okay. Too many times meetings are about talking mm. and that's a waste of time. You can send an email. If it's just informative, we recommend sending an email. Mm -hmm. For us, communication should be about influencing emotion to motivate action. I want something to happen at the end of that meeting, what we call meeting assets. Mm -hmm. So you're creating meeting assets, which could be a consensus was built over the course of that hour. We're all on the same page. Everybody's aligned. It could be action items are developed. Hey, we all decided these are the three things we're going to do for next year. It could be decisions that are made. Any of those things are great meeting assets. If it's just informative, hey, I sent you the, the agenda. We're just going to talk through everything and go over the different points and that's it. That's not, that's not great. Right. So that's, that, that's the first thing is having an objective with your communication. If I'm delivering a performance review and you're my direct report, what do I want to happen at the end of that performance review? These three areas of development, I want you to focus on those. And in six months, when we meet again for our mid-year, those things are, are improved upon. Okay. So it's very clear objective. The second thing, which people usually miss in trainings, the objective is usually pretty clear. We know what we want. Sometimes we're not great at communicating it or going after it. But the second thing is we call intention. Okay. So if you read the book, you know, intention is a big thing. And that's usually a one word verb. I want to, I want to commend you for the great work you did over the past two weeks. That's my intention. And it's a one word verb that's going to make you feel a certain way. Hmm. So you do a certain thing. So if your intention and your objective are aligned, I'm going to commend you on the great work you and your team did for that roadshow we just finished in Europe. Mm -hmm. My objective is I'm making you feel good for all those extra hours you put in so that when we do the next one in September, you feel good and you feel appreciated and valued. And you're going to put in all that extra effort to make the next one even better or Got at it. least just good. So that's what that's how we break down influence is intention and objective aligning those two things so that you as a communicator are getting what you want from the other person. I thought there was like a three-step process as well that you mentioned. <laughs> yeah, thanks for bringing that up. yeah, very good. So there's a three-step process, what we call the pinnacle method. Okay. And it's, it's an acronym aim. So it's really easy to remember. Okay. You read bullseye principle. There's that quote at the front of bullseye. It says, when the archer misses the mark, <laughs> failure to hit the bullseye is never the fault of the target. Right. <laughs> Prove your aim, improve yourself. So that's why we started the company. That's why we wrote the book. That's why we do coaching sessions and training sessions all around the world. And there's a three-step process that we tie to that idea of your message being an arrow and the bullseye being your objective, what you're trying to accomplish. And the three steps, very simply, here they are. Number one, analyze your audience. Mm. Got to start there. Who am I talking to? 
Mm-hmm. What do they know? What do they not know? What's their level of experience, education, mm-hmm. influence? Mm-hmm. Once you understand your audience, you've analyzed them, you go to the second step, identify what you want them to do, objective, and how you want them to feel hearing your message or hearing that's intention, right. That's intention right? And then the third step, and that's where professional actors come in. And that's why my background, Dave's background makes this company and our methodology and our approach different is you're going to modify your delivery which means our bodies are billboards. Though that's something that professional actors understand. Everything communicates something. And so understanding your body's a billboard and then modifying your delivery in order to accomplish whatever your goal is, those are the three steps in the process. And if you do all three of those steps, it's gonna be an effective piece of communication, whether it's a meeting, a presentation, or a feedback session. Tell me about the role that emotions play when you're trying to gauge and you know come up with your intentions. Yeah, we work with a lot of subject matter experts mm. around the world. I just got back from a series of speaking engagements uh, throughout Europe. So I was in England, I was in the Netherlands, I was in Belgium, I was in Norway. Mm. And a lot of subject matter experts, they forget. They think, you know, they've done all this data research, they've got all these numbers, all this research, all these very specific things that they've put together, mm-hmm. they think that the numbers carry the day to influence. And really numbers don't mean anything <laughs> to an audience unless you as the person sharing or communicating those numbers make the audience feel a certain way. Here's some numbers, you should feel great about this. Or here's some numbers, you're all about to lose your job if these numbers don't change in the next two months. Right. And so emotion, making making an, an audience member or someone who's listening to you feel something, that's important because numbers are never, your message should never be neutral. You want right. them to feel a certain way. And if there's just a bland face, a monotone voice, no eye contact, right. as the numbers are clicking through, the audience doesn't know how to feel. And they're not going to be as inclined to take action as well if you had come at them with some emotion. Isn't that just like, um, you know, it, it, you know, it's what's in it for me, you know, I mean, you know, th- there, there's nice to know information and there's need to know information. And like you just said, I mean, if you, if you bring up numbers that could really impact somebody's job or their yeah. livelihood or their business, um, those I'm assuming will get somebody's more attention in the audience Absolutely. than just overall. That's the emotion yeah. you're talking about, right? For sure. Yeah. Well, there's something we call the pinnacle methodology, the prism of priority which you've got to remember any person you are delivering a message to, they're hearing your words and your content through the prism of their own wants and needs and priorities. So you've got to think about that ahead of time and ask yourself, why should they care? Why should they care right now? And what's in it for them with the information I'm putting forward? Even if it's bad news, even if it's difficult news, there's a reason you're telling them this difficult news. It, It could be, I think you're a good employee. You have been in the past. The last six months, we've seen a slippage in your productivity and in your attitude that's noticeable. I think you can get back to where you used to be. And here are three things that I'm going to be looking for in the next six months from you to get you back where we need you to be because you're a valuable member of this team and I know you can do better. It seems like that approach itself is very, I mean, it, you know, I don't want to say easily, but it's it's more um, it, it, I think it's easier to apply if you're just dealing with a specific person in front of you. What sure. about, like you say, you give, you know, you give presentations around the world. If you're speaking to a group, I mean, everybody shows up with their own reality, with their own agendas, you know, different sure. people think different things are important. How do you, how do you get that motion out of a group when you're presenting to them? Versus yeah, it's harder with a diverse group because I've got the CFO over here who's listening to my message going, how much is this going to cost? Yeah, right. How is this going to work? Yeah. I've got the CEO who's listening to my pitch or my message saying, how is this going to move the whole company to the next level? How right. are we going to compete with these people who are about to eat our lunch? And the workers are saying, how much more work is this going to be? You're pushing on me. What's, how's that going to affect me? And so I think all of those things together, you have to understand who you, that's why understanding your audience and knowing who's out there, very important. Yeah, I think it is as well. I, I can tell you one thing. Sometimes when I, you know, when I speak to groups, it's the same thing as you just said. There might be CFOs and CEOs in the room. There could be people from big companies, small companies. There could be managers versus you know non-managers. And um, sometimes I feel like I don't know, Gary, if you do the same thing, but like I, um, I, I, I try not to spend too much time 
on any one topic, you know, because, you know, I might be talking about some tax thing that is of only interest to like a third of the room and they're really interested in it, but the other two thirds are not as much. So it's like a balancing act. You know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah. I think that's, that's a very smart thing to do is, uh, if you have to to include it in there, you have to include this. And I know the CFO is going to be looking for this number. Yes hit it and then keep it moving. Yeah. I found that that, that that's worked pretty well for me, but easier said than done. Gary, what is a, again, we're talking about running a meeting or doing a presentation. Talk to us a little bit, what you call a pattern interrupt. Yeah. It's one of my, one of my favorite things Yeah, is uh, there's a lot of new research out on attention spans. What's happening to our attention spans with, with these, quite frankly. Right. These things are changing how we take in and deliver information, yeah. and the news is not great. Uh, Gloria Mark out of uh, UC Irvine, she is the foremost expert. I talk a lot about her in Bullseye Principle, some of her studies. She has a book that's out called Attention, which is fantastic as well. And by the way, I have to interrupt you for, for yeah. those of you that are watching or listening to this conversation. The Bullseye Principle, like the, the chapters are are designed in a, in a very consistent way. There, there's a there's a story. Um, and by the way, you, you tell a great story about Phil Navison, which we should get back to and, yeah. and have you share that because it is really, impa- it's an impactful story for the entire book. Uh, yeah. But then also there's um, th- there's data. There's lots of data, but it's not just a regurgitation of data. It's, it's you, you present data to build a case and yeah. then, you know, you finish a, a chapter or concept with then your, you know, here's my thoughts on all of this, you know, and my advice. Yeah. And that's the way the book seems to be structured and, yeah. and it works. It works. Yeah, because people take in information differently yeah. than they used to. They want self-contained. I mean, you can jump to the chapter on storytelling. If that's the thing you really want to sharpen up right now, you can jump to that and just read that on its own versus reading all 10 chapters in a row. It works either way. And it was built specifically that way. And you know, it's funny, even for the base of this conversation, because you know, I read through the entire book and I enjoyed it, but I did find myself formulating my questions for this interview based on sort of the last third of your chapters, which is where you give advice because I, I yeah. want to hear what, yeah. you know, your, you know, your, your, your thoughts and feedback on certain things. Yeah. So, just... so getting back to your question, yeah. our attention is getting shorter. We switch every 40 to 47 seconds. There's two different studies. Gloria Mark talks about uh, when we're working on a screen. So we can work on one screen before we want to open another tab and work every 40 seconds. We're switching around. I'm checking my Facebook. I'm back to my Excel spreadsheet. Now I'm doing this. What's the Oh, I just got a notification from CNN. So <laughs> we're people are used to doing that. Every three minutes, we switch back and forth, just regular tasks from, okay. hey, I'm looking at a recipe. I'm going over this recipe that I'm going to cook tonight. And I'm doing my expense report from my recent trip. So we're, we're used to switching back and forth, which she called kinetic attention, hmm. where we're constantly switching. You probably, I have kids. Yep. So if you, if you have kids or you've been around kids, you've seen the scene where they're watching the big screen TV. There's one screen. They have their computer up. They're doing their homework. That's a second screen. And they're answering Snapchat messages on the third screen. (laughs) And so we try to explain to them how there were zero screens in the 1980s. (laughs) You know, maybe a TV if we we were lucky. And so that's that's the generation who's coming up. They're just used to things switching, things switching. And by the way, wait until the uh, metaverse happens, you know. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It's going to be it's going to be insane. So what a pattern interrupt, which you mentioned earlier, is if you're running a, so the average attention span for an adult listener, we talk about this in Bullseye, to take in information and not be distracted and be able to retain it is around five minutes. Okay. After five minutes, if someone's just up there lecturing or giving a sermon, it starts to be tough for okay. an adult learner to not want to do something else. Okay. So what we teach is a technique called the pattern interrupt, which is at intervals before five minutes, switch it up. A change up, a pattern interrupt is just a change up. It's a switch up, something you can do like a good movie, surprise your audience, switch the action. So now we're going in a different direction. Do something that that is gonna reset the clock and give you another five minutes. So examples could be changing speakers. So you and I are gonna co-facilitate and instead of me doing a half an hour and you doing a half an hour, we're gonna switch it up. You're not even gonna know when we're gonna hand off the baton. Right. And it's going to keep it active and fun. Asking a question. Adult learners, 
love to give their opinions or their feedbacks or their observations or their stories. So we're not in kindergarten where you can just lecture anymore. And I would argue you can't even lecture in kindergarten. You should make it a conversation. So make it a monologue or make it a dialogue, not a monologue. Hmm. Ask questions, get feedback. Uh, use a statistic, you know, throw a statistic out there, ask a question, uh, physical activity. If there's anything you can do, polling. Hey, how many of you people experience this? Raise your hand. Just the simple act of me having to like put myself out there and say, yes, I'm committing to this one right. and looking around going, wow, three of us. Interesting. Right. Those things, telling a story, you know, I'm a big storyteller, uh, a huge fan of that at Pinnacle. We do a lot of work with storytelling. I've been a professional playwright since I was 17. Mm -hmm. And last December, I won my first Emmy award for a show I wrote for NBC. And it's all storytelling. And that's what we teach in our, in our workshops. That's what we talk about in the book, these techniques that anybody can be a great storyteller. So those are all pattern interrupts that keep your presentation or your meeting really fun, engaging and active. So people aren't gonna get bored. Pretty soon an hour is done and you go, wow, that was a great meeting. I, I have to so just say, I have to just say that um, the concept is so powerful because I just, my wife and I saw just last weekend, we saw um, Ricky Gervais um, in New York. He was hilarious. He did a stand up. Now um, he played at Radio City. I don't even know how many people go to Radio City Music Hall, but like Gary, it was enormous, beautiful place. You know, people are paying to see Ricky Gervais. They go there to see a comedian like him, their fans. They were glued to every word he was saying. So yeah. he was telling like, he's a story after story, doing his jokes, whatever, but everybody was into it. But what I think is really important, you know, in, in your concept of pattern interrupt is that generally audiences don't want to be there. You know? <laughs> like right. if you're in a meeting and you're presenting, the people that are there all pretty much want to be somewhere else, you know, yeah. <laughs> or even yeah, at a no, conference a, when they go to like sessions, you know, they're there, a, but you know, they, again, if you were given a choice and would you rather be doing this or being on the golf course, they're going to be, you know, whatever. And there's so. very, there's, there's good and bad news in what you just said, right? Mm. It's absolutely true. So the bad news is you're walking into a situation where maybe some of the people just don't want to be there. They <laughs> rather be anyplace else. So that's the bad news. The good news is the bar is low. It is. <laughs> They're expecting you to be boring, predictable, yes. not wasting their time. So if you can create a message, a narrative that upends those expectations, which is what we try to do every time at Pinnacle, it, it's a refreshing surprise to them. And they usually with us walk out saying, I, that's the best training I've ever been to. I was dreading this, just to be honest. And that was fantastic. It was fun. I wish it was two days instead of one or three days instead of two. That's what you hope for. I love that uh, comment that you said about, you know, the bar being low, because that really is the case. Uh, you know, most corporate yeah. presenters, most people that run meetings, I mean, they're not, they're not professional speakers. And so they're not trained in doing right. this. It's just, you know, they right. kind of thrown into it. And, you know, most of them are pretty mediocre. So if you can right. make that extra effort, um, to really yeah. make your presentation unique, full of energy, fun, you know, whatever. Yeah. It, it really does stand out. And I got to you, I think your, your, your audience is grateful for it. You know, they have to yeah, be there we anyway. really believe. Uh, I don't know if you agree with this, but we really believe that great speakers are, they're made, they're not born. Yeah, I agree you with that. Make a, you can make a, someone a really, really effective speaker. And you brought up Phil Davison, the worst speaker of all time. Yeah. There's a perfect example. So the opening story in the bullseye principle, and if you Google right now, if you're watching this podcast, you Google worst speech of all time or worst <laughs> speaker of all time, it's a great you're going to get up to 18 million results. But the very first video, almost anywhere in the world where you do that, it's, it's going to be the same. Guy. It's <laughs> Phil Davis. And he went viral in 2010 for giving a speech. He was running for office in Ohio. He gave this speech that was so bizarre and cuckoo and <laughs> crazy because his communication didn't make any sense right that he looked like a maniac and it went viral he was on all the tv shows college kids would memorize it and get drunk and recite <laughs> his speech and entertain all their friends and so that speech went viral in 2010 and our first book pin drop principle had just come out and we would show this video of this guy going off the rails <laughs> and people would really understand and we would break it down with the three-step process and right. say he didn't follow the three-step process that's why it's not good and so one day we get off stage and dave lewis my co-founder i said to him man i wonder what happened to phil davison after he became famous as the worst speaker of all time and do you think if we would have met him before he gave that speech we could have coached him and made him a good speaker 
And Dave said, I don't know, but we should find out. Hmm. So I went about trying to find this guy and I could not find him. I looked on Google, nothing on Facebook. One day I went to LinkedIn. There were a few Phil Davisons, one in Ohio. So all I did was I sent an email. I sent a message through LinkedIn and I said, are you the Phil Davison from the video? That's right, it. right. Anything else? And I got back three words. Yes, I am. <laughs> so I found him. I, so I gave my phone number. I said, will you call me? He said, sure. He calls me the next day. I said, hey, Phil, I have a global communication skills training company and we're big fans of your video. I said, uh, would you be willing for us to send you a free ticket to Chicago? I want to spend two hours with you completely free. This is on us. Yeah. I want to teach you our methodology. I want to see if I can make you a really good speaker. And he was shocked because up to that point, everybody who had reached out to him was trying to take advantage of him, was trying to make fun of him. Right. One company wanted to make an energy drink with his face on it all crazy. And we were the first ones who reached out saying, hey, this is a human thing you went through and we want to help you. Right. Are you in? And he was in. He came up. I worked with him for two hours. I taught him the three-step process, analyze your audience, identify what you want them to do, how you want them to feel, and then let's modify your delivery and your body language accordingly to get what you want. We worked for two hours. He was great. He was like a sponge, absorbed everything. And at the end of the two hours, we're about to finish. And I said to him, Phil, I know it's a long shot, but by chance, do you still remember that speech you gave a year ago that made you famous as the worst speaker of all time? He goes, of course I do. Mm -hmm. He said, I've locked in my memory, every word of it. I said, wow, that's impressive. Do me a favor. If you're willing, <laughs> would you go up in the front of the room and will you redo it now based on everything we talked about? Make those adjustments. I want to see if there's a difference. And I said, if you don't mind, I want to film it. Right. Captain said, no problem. He went up there and it was transformational. He looked <laughs> relaxed. He was confident, likable, personable. And he watched it back. He couldn't believe it. He couldn't believe how he went from looking like a maniac that went viral to now looking like he could possibly be taken serious as a candidate. And this was all from following the three-step process, the analyzing the all, audience, understanding, yeah. modifying the delivery, all of those three steps. And working on doing. body language. So if you watch the first video, his body language, first off, his voice, he looks like he sounds like he's yelling. You've seen yeah. it? Yeah, I've seen it. I had to, but it, I, I could not not see it after yeah, reading the story. He looks like he's book. screaming at you. He's yeah. pointing at you. He's yeah. stalking the stage like he wants to kill you. And then <laughs> we, just, we just eased off those things. We said, all right, smile, slow your pace, bring your volume down, make eye contact. When you talk about the city you're from, put your hand on your heart, you know, mm. just touch your heart. It's a subtle thing, mm -hmm. but they're going to know that this state means a lot to you and mm. the people of Ohio mean a lot to you and you want to serve them. Mm. And we just basically directed him like he was in a play and he was fantastic. And so our, our takeaway from it is it's the greatest case study of all time. You know, we end presentations. The, the, the takeaway is uh, it's, it's uh, nurture, not nature, you know, I mean, yeah. and it's, if we can do this with the worst speaker of all yeah. time, Think what we can do if we get your 10 top executives in a room and sharpen up their communication. Yeah, no, it's a great lesson to be learned and a great point yeah. to be taken away. All right, guy. let me, I have, I'm sorry. I have so many notes and things to ask you about. Yeah. I just, and, and the point of this, for, for, for those of you listening or watching that have that watched other these interviews, I mean, I don't want to give away the whole farm here. I mean, I want people to go out and, you know, and buy the bullseye principle, but it just give you a taste of some of the things that are in it. Um, Gary, you talk a bit about creating a personal branding statement. Yeah. Um, share with us what your thoughts are on that. Sure. So in the corporate environment, there's a study we talk about in Bullseye Principle, only 15% of people in the corporate environment mm -hmm. have a personal brand, mm -hmm. have a personal brand. And only 5% of those 15 who have a personal brand in mind, this is how I want to be seen. I've taken some time to think about it. Only 5% actually consistently execute that personal brand and live that personal brand in the workplace. Right. Which means sometimes we're not seen the way we want to be seen. And the only way you can find that out is by getting feedback. But from... when you hear, but when you talk personal brand, I mean, you know, your first takeaway is it, it, it seems like bullshit, doesn't it? You know, like you're some influencer. On yeah. So 97, TV. right. Tom Peters was the guy who wrote the fast. First, yeah. Right. Yeah, for right. sure. But there's definitely value in, how do you want to be perceived within your organization with your clients? Sure. And is that how you're being perceived? 
And what do you bring to the table that's unique that somebody else doesn't have? Right. A lot of times I'll train in India. I work in India. We have a lot of clients over there. And I'll say to them, we're talking personal branding. And I'll say, all right, you're an IT professional in Hyderabad, India. What are some, some talents or special skills, something interesting about you that could contribute to your personal brand? And they say, nothing. I don't have anything. I go to work. I go home with my family. I go to work. I go, that is it. And I say, how many languages do you speak? And they say, six. Yeah. <laughs> I say, that is a superpower. You just told me you have a superpower that I don't which, have. Which, and which, by the way, people in India, they speak all six languages at the same time, don't they? Exactly. They yeah. like so switch said, on and off words. That makes you very unique. And that is special to your brand that I don't right. have. Right. It's a superpower. So don't underestimate that. So just asking yourself, you know, what are my values? What are my skills? What are life experiences that I've had that someone else hasn't had? What something difficult you went through? Uh, you were a caregiver for a parent as they battled dementia or something. Those give you a well of experience that you can't underestimate. That becomes so part why of is that? Program. Why is that important? Well, first off, just like a good actor, one of the things we teach is authenticity for you as a communicator, as a presenter. One thing we never teach in any of our trainings is here's the one way you have to present. Do it exactly like this robotically. Okay. It's shining a light on the things that make you unique, that bring your authenticity forward. Got it. And, and anything that gets in the way of that, we're going to help chip away and clear those away so that you're being perceived the way you want to be perceived. So it's staying focused really on the real you to be as transparent. And, you know, when you're communicating, because it's, I mean, I, I have to say this, just like you mentioned your kids. I mean, kids have this special superpower to see through bullshit pretty quickly. For sure. And so does your audience, I guess. And so the more you can be yeah. transparent and real, the, the more you'll connect with your audience. That's the message. Yeah. Right? And people can sniff out inauthentic people. Yeah. Uh, or inconsistent. We want the yeah. same person. If you're a client and I meet you at one, one place and you're exuberant and really yeah. outgoing and whatever, and then I meet you a month later and you're completely different. I'm questioning, was that all of show last time right. or What's going on? Are and, you and I, I guess it's also a way to you know to to be to be remembered as well. Like, oh yeah, that's the guy. I heard that this guy speak to us. The guy that speaks the six different languages. You know, for sure. The guy that's it was it was like a, a surfboard pro, a surfing yeah. pro when he was younger, a, right? A, a great exercise to do is write down what are three words that you would use to describe yourself mm -hmm. as a leader, as a communicator. Mm -hmm. so write those down. Now I'm going to go to my boss my coworker and my spouse, I'm going to ask them. the same question and I'm going to put them side by side. And do they match up? Wait a second. I said collaborative and you said does their own thing right. or knows everything. Right. Wow. Those, those don't quite, or if I said open and you said closed, private or closed off, there's a disconnect in my communication and my style. I've got to figure that out. <laughs> All right. Still moving along. Um, there is you know, a section in your book that you talk about organizations and you talk about change in organizations and you talk about uh, things like development change and transitional transitional change. Yeah. Um, can you explain to me what the difference is between those two types of changes? Yeah. So the three we talk about, yeah, developmental, uh, uh, developmental changes are just small things, mm -hmm. small things that are happening. Transitional change, that's bigger. That's a little more a complex. And then there's transformational change. And right? then transformational is a big one. And guess what? We all went through that three years ago with COVID. Yeah, true. Right. There was okay. a lot. I don't know about you. My company is a different company. Than we were when we went to COVID. We literally, like all uh, co companies in the space, when COVID happened, shutdown happened, our business was a lot based on travel. Right. Face-to-face. And face-to-face in-person -face in communication that went away. So right. immediately we had to stop and go, we're reinventing our company for the next two years because we don't know how this is going right. to last. We're going to be the best virtual training company out there. So we've got to replicate as close as we can our great in-person experience, but we've got to transfer that online. And so we did that very quickly. It took everybody working around the clock to sure. reinvent, reimagine. And now we have both coming right. out of it have both. And so we, one of the things people forget about with any type of change, whether it's transformational, transitional, developmental, is or in, any kind of incremental change, there's an emotional aspect to it. Sure. People, change makes people nervous, scared, 
anxious. And so making sure you're meeting people where they are during that process is good leadership. I know you're scared. I know this is not where we all thought we would be two years ago, but here's the plan we have. Here's the vision we have for the next two years to get through this. And we look to our leaders to, to lead us through. I imagine, you know, you know, using your case in your company, I mean, developmental change, you're starting up the business, you're evolving the business a little bit. You've got change as you're, you know, as you're developing transitional is when you sure. start to offer new services or you start to, uh, you sure. know, right. Provide a, you know, a different way of doing things, but transformational is just like the way you're delivering in your case, your products before, whereas it used to be yes. mostly face to face. Yes. And now you're like, Oh shit, we can't do this because of COVID we have to yeah. now come up with a way to deliver our, our product as effectively, but doing it over Zoom or whatever. And understanding the market and the industry and people's wants and needs change too. And what's and amazing is that COVID finishes and here you are still doing this, I'm assuming. I mean, I'm, I'm sure yeah. you're still doing plenty of face-to-face, -face, but you've had a transformational change because Correct. of the pandemic. Yeah. Fascinating. And it's good. And it's good. And we were able to be nimble and it took creativity on everybody's part. It took... You know the, the do you know the concept of yes and you ever heard of the concept? No, tell me. So there's an improvisational. So Second City is the big improvisational comedy place in Chicago where improv right. started. All the famous Saturday Night Live people. Right. There's a concept when you're improvising as an actor, yes and, which yeah. means somebody says something and then you got to agree with it and exactly. add on to I'm that story. Gonna, if, if we're brainstorming and you come up with an idea, I'm not going to squat. That's a stupid idea. Or now that's not going to work. Instead, I'm going to say yes. Okay. And I'm going to add this to it. And so I'm building off of your idea. There was a ton of that. We were yes anding day and night, trying to take ideas and move things forward. And that really helped us because we we're good at collaboration. So that's another thing we teach in the corporate <laughs> environment. Yeah, it's really funny because you, you're like, I'm a big fan of uh, David Spade and uh, Dana Carvey's that's podcast. Great podcast. And it's so funny. And, and they speak to obviously a lot of people, formerly SNL and related yeah. to SNL. A lot of people came from uh, you know, from Second City and other, you know, other groups like that. And you're right now I'm thinking about it. They did speak a lot about the whole yes and thing because it would yeah. be taken to a humorous and a ridiculous level, but it could be applied, you know, in a, in a normal corporate level as well. Yeah, absolutely. And it's brainstorming, right? And it's, so we do a lot of taking, so I did 15 years as a professional actor doing television, mm -hmm. film and theater. That's my training. I didn't go to business school. I went to one of the toughest conservatory acting schools in the country. I did four years there. It was like a military school wow. and so our books our training that's the approach we bring a fun and relevant and applicable approach that's based on the toolbox of professional actors so we'll teach you how to prepare how to overcome stage fright people get nervous guess what here are things you can do to manage those nerves so they're not right. going to get get in the way here's how you prepare here's how you rehearse so you can knock that knock it out of the park most people don't know how to rehearse. And so we teach them just the basic, we don't teach any acting, none of that, but it's the basic things that we studied at acting school that can easily be applied to communication in the corporate environment. All right, we only have a few minutes left and obviously we're covering just a fraction of, of all the great stuff and the advice and the data that you share in this book. But I, I can't leave you go, um, Gary, without talking a little bit about storytelling. Um, it is a, you know, it's a big part of your book. It's a big part of communicating and that's what the bullseye principle is all about. Um, you lay out that there, there are like five different types of stories. And no, I don't, you know, I'm not going to put you on the spot, but there, yes, yeah, the origin story, the value story, the challenge story, the implementation story, the solution yeah. story. Um, when I first read that, I was like, oh, I mean, I guess my story has to include all of these parts of it, but that's not true. These yeah. are different types of stories. Give us your thoughts on telling stories. Yeah. So first off, when we teach storytelling, we start every session off by saying, raise your hand if you're a great storyteller. And usually if you have a room of 10 executives, there's usually one guy, it might be the CEO, it might be the sales guy, the head of sales, who goes, me, I'm really good at it, which I love, that's fantastic. Sure. Which means they probably are pretty confident telling stories. But usually it's the vast majority who don't raise their hand. Then the next question I ask is, how would you like to be a better storyteller? Raise your hand. All Everybody the hands. Says yes. sure. And so my, my, my lesson to them is, Here's the deal. There's a secret formula for storytelling that I learned at 14 years old when I studied playwriting in a basement in Minneapolis with one of the most prolific playwrights in America. And he taught me a simple formula that goes back hundreds of years. I'm gonna teach you that formula. And it's in Bullseye Principle. I share it in there. Anybody can be a good storyteller. 
And if you want to be a leader, if you want to be influential and have impact, you have to be able to share stories, sure. reveal parts of yourself, be able to have an anecdote ready to go. So when we recommend those five essential business stories you should have, you know, the crucible story is one of them. What's a challenge you, you faced or something difficult that looked insurmountable? Tell us about that and how you overcame it because you're sure. standing here and you got through it. So that's a good one. Lots of lessons. Pie in the face story. I'm a huge fan of a pie in the face story, which is a leadership lesson where you made a mistake. You made a mistake and you learned a lesson from it. So you got a pie in the face. You embarrassed <laughs> yourself. You did something stupid. And I'm going to share that story with my team. It's a great way as a leader to show you are human. You're, sure. You have humility. You're humble. I just used it a couple months ago. One of my team members who had been with us since the beginning, he and I had a battle. He suggested this one thing that was different than how we'd ever done it. I gave him 50 reasons why it was a bad idea. He said that the client really wants it. I said, it's a bad idea. It's not showing us off in the strongest light. We shouldn't do it. He said, we have to do it. I've committed to them. I think it's the right thing. I eventually said, fine. All right. We did it. And it ended up being completely great. Mm. He was completely right. So the next opportunity in front of all the executive team, I said, hey, I want to start this executive team meeting out by saying, Brian, you are 100% correct. I was wrong. Right. Thank you for pushing back. Thank you for challenging me. You were right. It worked fantastic. And it's going to lead to a ton of business. Keep doing that. Keep questioning, challenging, and pushing back. So that's a story where, you know, a lead, we love leaders who can admit they're wrong. And a lot yeah. of leaders or CEOs don't want to admit that. Well, by so, the way, it gets back to your earlier point about making people transparent and connectable. Yes. You know, it shows that they're human. Um, is there is there anything else in stories? I mean, is is there any type of story of the five that you mentioned that you think are most effective? Uh, you know, or does that just depend on the audience? Yeah, so it depends on the audience and what your objective is. What who who am I talking to? Again, put it through the three step process. Let's analyze this audience. Mm. It's a client. It's a client who has some objections about our product and the pricing. Mm saying we're kind of on the high end and they might not have the budget for that. They might go to a competitor because of that. I feel like a story might be good here to try to win them over. Here's a story about how we added value to a client who had the same objection. Hmm. We had a client similar to you. They had the same objection. They went with us. Here was the result. Right. We did this, this, and this, and the result was this. So I'm telling you, it's the right call. You're not going to be disappointed. We're a higher premium product because we're worth it. If you want, you know, if you want a lower quality product, you can go for it, but you get what you pay for, that kind of thing. Got so it. knowing the audience, you pick the story based on what you're trying to accomplish. Um, you know, you had mentioned earlier in this conversation that, you know, uh, good speakers uh, can be can be taught to be good. It doesn't necessarily have to be something there. Do you feel the same way about storytellers? Do you think that's something that somebody yes. can, you yes. do? Because there, there are iconic, you know, Abraham Lincoln and sure. you know uh, Lyndon Johnson apparently Churchill. was very good. So Churchill was a great story. Yeah. Just could these guys are born with this natural yeah. ability to just tell. But Ronald Reagan, you know, um, but but you think that is something that maybe not even to get to that level, but something that people can learn to get to. Yeah, it. for sure you can learn it. And if you want to be influential and be a great leader, yep. you have to be good at it. It's something we expect. Our leaders have to be able to tell a really good story. TED Talks, do you watch TED Talks at all? Sure. So people who love TED Talks, if you look at the top, the, the 10 most famous, yeah. most TED Talks. They're just great stories. 5% of them are stories, yeah. they're stories. So we read story and, through. And as a final takeaway, and then we'll, we'll, we'll wrap things up. So just it, it, you're from the book, I mean, can give us just a little bit of advice. Like where can we get started to get better at telling stories? So mine, your experience. So I would, I would say, take those five different types of stories. I wrote an article for Forbes. You can read it for free online, or you can get the book and it's in the book mm -hmm. uh, and look at those. What's a crucible story. What's a story where you were up against it where in your life or in your job, you hit a big challenge mm -hmm. and don't tell me you don't have one because we all had one with COVID. We did. How did you pay your bills during COVID? How did you stay safe during COVID? How did you keep right. your family safe during COVID? There's a crucible story. If you can't think of anything else. Right. Have one, you know, identify of those five different types of stories that you should have in your back pocket. Pick out one from your experience, one for each from your experience mm -hmm. and sketch it out. Use the formula in that chapter. So you have those, you have those and practice telling them to somebody and then get feedback. Hey, Gene, how did you like that? I told you that story about 
our company during COVID. Sure. Was it clear? Were there any parts boring? Did it go on too long? Get some feedback. Just try and, it out. And your experience is that personal stories work better than non-personal stories. I mean, I think if, you know, Ronald Reagan would be like, you know, there was once a farmer in, you know, Alabama that did, you know, whatever, as yeah. opposed to saying something that just happened to me specifically. Yeah. You can, if you're a good storyteller, you can make somebody else's story feel like it happened to you. Right. Fair enough. But lots of good things happen when you tell stories, uh, neural coupling it's called. So if I tell you a story that's exciting and riveting and has me on the edge of my seat, cause I'm remembering what I felt you're going to feel those same things, those same feelings, those same neurons in your brain are going to be firing. And now we've got this good connection where you're listening to me, we're, we're engaged. You're not looking at your phone. That's where I want to have somebody that I'm communicating, connected. I have been speaking to G. Riley Mills, Gary uh, Riley Mills, who with his co-author Dave Lewis has written Mastering Intention, no, sorry, The Bullseye Principle, uh, Mastering Intention-Based Communication to Collaborate execute and succeed. This book, um, Gary, was written back in 2018. Yes. Um, so we're now five years away from that. Uh, what's the plan for the future? Are you working on anything else? So we had the pin drop principle. We have the bullseye principle. Seems seems right to have a third book to, seems to be. put the trilogy together. So uh, <laughs> it'll happen. It'll happen. Nothing to announce right now, but okay. We will stay tuned. Hey, thanks so much. It was a great book. For those of you guys uh, that have been watching this, you've been seeing screenshots, the book and the book cover, which is available everywhere. Where can we get a hold of you and Pinnacle? So you can go to pinper.com, P-I-N-P-E-R.com, or you can link in with me on LinkedIn or any of the social media apps. G. Riley Mills is where you can find me. That's my handle, but uh, yeah, feel free That's to reach good. out. I will do the same, actually, if we haven't done this already, but thanks. Yeah, uh, Great conversation, great book. I want to wish you the best of success. And I want to thank you for coming on. And hopefully uh, this conversation will inspire many people to go out and buy the book. It's worth it. Thank, so you, thank you, Big fan of the podcast. So thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. And everybody, you've been watching and listening to BizBooks. My name is Gene Marks. Hope you enjoyed this conversation with Gary. I'll be back in two weeks with another interview with a great author of another great business book. So thank you for watching and listening. And we will see you then. Take care.